Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, which is sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying, .com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Lorena Manzanita. Lorena is a somatic sex and relationship coach and SE trauma resolution practitioner. She loves helping people who want to transform old wounds and experience profound new levels of pleasure, intimacy, and connection. Welcome to the show, Lorena. Hello. Happy to be here. So glad to have you. So I was excited to have you on the show because we we focus on ethical non-monogamy on this show as well as related themes. And um, it seems like a lot of people can get traumatized from open relationships, especially if they're not mm-hmm. aware of some of the wounds that they've had in their past. Um, things can get triggered. I mean, monogamous relationships, we get triggered too, but um, sometimes people can find open relationships especially traumatizing. So, I wanted to pick your brain about trauma resolution, but let's start by just telling our listeners, what is a somatic sex and relationship coach? What does the somatic mean? So for me, uh, somatic references the mind-body connection. And I would say when I work with people, when I connect with people, when, and also when I connect with myself, one of the primary things I'm paying attention to is what is the quality of the connection between one's mind and body. So intentionally paying attention with compassion, acceptance, openness is a certain quality of, has a mindfulness quality to it. But like, can you direct that mindfulness to our sensations, our emotions, the things we want to do with our bodies, like clench our teeth or contract our in our solar plexus. So I'm really paying attention to how does our attention and thoughts um, influence how we're living in our bodies and how is our how um, what might our bodies be saying to us to influence um, our thoughts <laughs> and um, behaviors because so much of our relating patterns and so much of um, our instinctive responses to life are kind of arise from what's happening in our bodies. So bringing more attention to that feels vital for deep change and transformation. Mm, thank you. And I like how you say 
you know, to pay attention to your body with compassion and acceptance because so often mm-hmm. we judge ourselves for everything. And um, so to remember to bring that type of, of energy to our witnessing, to bring the compassion to ourselves. Right, right. And, and you were talking about trauma and um, open relationships and this piece around bringing compassion to what's happening in our bodies feels really important to, in order to navigate non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy well. Like when we get that uh, nervous feeling in our hearts, can we bring compassion to that area mm-hmm. in our hearts? Can we bring a certain quality of like loving holding to our hearts rather than trying to push it away or ignore it, or um, try and control every action of our partners in order to not feel it. But there's something that shifts when we pay attention with that certain quality of acceptance and openness. Yeah, the last thing you said is so common. I I teach jealousy transformation, transforming jealousy into compersion Mm. and love. Mm -hmm. And we come from a culture where, you know, one of the most common things I get when, when monogamous people hear that I'm polyamorous is they say, don't you get jealous? So there's an assumption there that we should avoid any behavior that causes jealousy. <laughs> so instead what you're saying is something like the jealousy is going to be there. How can we witness it? How can we bring awareness to it with kindness and compassion? Is that, does that sound like I'm getting it? Yeah, for sure. Um, how can we bring it, bring more loving attention um, to it? And, and I will also say from, like, my trauma resolution background, my somatic experiencing trauma resolution background, there's certain skills around how to navigate trauma. And, and one of the pieces, the skills, is something called titration. And I do feel like that's helpful. Um, that's a helpful concept when exploring non-monogamy. I think a lot of people can traumatize themselves by kind of like they get um, wind of the concepts or get inspired by the ideals of polyamory, non-monogamy, and then they put their, they kind of like jump in, but don't really give themselves like the incremental steps to get more and more skillful around Mm -hmm how to be in a non-monogamous open relationship. They kind of like mm-hmm. think they should be doing something, but what their bodies are doing are totally different, right? <laughs> so what right. I like to encourage people to do is like take titrated, um, which is a reference to the world of chemistry where if you have a, a reaction uh, through kind of two chemicals coming together. If you pour it all in together at the same time, there'd be an explosion. Um, Mm. But if you titrate it, kind of like simple little drops of one reactive chemical into another, it creates a little reaction and then it settles Mm. down. And then it creates Mm. another little reaction and then settles down. So I like to Mm -hmm. encourage people to take like steps that might be a little risky, that might create a little bit of a reaction but is at a low level energy enough where you can have that certain quality of compassionate embodied presence with what's going on in your heart and in your solar plexus and in your jaw. 
But if we like put ourselves into like really hard, high charge situations that are beyond our capacity, then it's almost impossible to like accept the searing pain <laughs> that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. if we like do incremental steps of like maybe just like saying, hey, my, I'm attracted to that person. And then notice the reaction mm-hmm. as that level of honesty is re- revealed. Am I making sense? Yeah, it sounds like the big theme here is like slow the hell down. <laughs> slow it down so we can feel what's happening. And I also mm-hmm. you know, have a lot of people that come to me as clients who have tried, you know, they read a book or you know, read a blog, and then they go out and try open relationship, and they crash and burn, and they go, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. I think we need some support because we're trying to be more evolved than we are. Like, we read, we read an article, and we agree with it philosophically, but our bodies and our emotions are lagging way behind our intellect. So, like, slowing down and paying attention, I think, is what I hear you saying. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Slowing down, paying attention, allowing for pauses, mm-hmm. taking one little what, risky step at a time, and then letting that settle. Yes, one of my mentors, Kenya Stevens, she says, if you're in an established relationship and you're opening it up for your first time, she has four steps, and the first two don't involve having sex with anyone else. <laughs> They're just... You know, <laughs> strengthening the relationship that you have and your communication skills and then beginning to unenmesh where you're going out on platonic dates with people of the opposite sex and getting used to that separation and seeing what that feels like before you're actually full-on romantically and sexually involved with someone else. So I think that's really great advice by her. Agreed, yeah. And for some people, maybe they need, like, six more steps before they can get sexual with other people. <laughs> right. Like um, different people have different capacities and pacings. So just mm-hmm. honoring our own unique right. rhythm. We, we can compare ourselves to other people. And I remember once being in um, a relationship, open relationship and my male partner was really attracted to a woman in another couple. And I felt like I was, one lagging behind like everybody else was like yeah this is great let's go forward and I was needing to slow down I was having a lot of trigger and I felt so like the spoil sport you know like I was the party pooper Mm -hmm. I think we can really judge ourselves harshly and you know want to be farther along than we are but we just have to be where we are and not compare ourselves yeah yeah that is sage advice so how did and you so much easier said somatic? than done? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm curious, <laughs> Lorena, how did you end up becoming a somatic sex and relationship coach? And does your mother know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of like one step at a time, it took a while between uh, the time where I've like told most of the world that I was a somatic sex and relationship and told my mother. <laughs> I think there was about a year and a half, uh, two year time lag. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she is 
now in the know, as is my dad. Awesome. In fact, I went recently to Portugal and had a family vacation. So there was about uh, nine other family members. And um, I really practiced giving myself permission to be me and not dial myself down nor trying like, inflate myself out of defensiveness but like if somebody asked me what I did I'm like yeah I'm a sex and relationship coach mm-hmm. and then That's their face kind of scrunches up and tries to figure out what the hell that is right <laughs> <laughs> it totally varies like um, uh, there might be like just silence so like hmm <laughs> the subject and then um, like uh, it might be like, oh, that's interesting. What is that about? And I think that's the kind of like the nature of working in the realm of sexuality in general. Like sex has that kind of like repulsion, attraction, quality to it in our culture of like, oh, this is not talked about nearly enough. I'm fascinated and I'm going to dive in or, oh, that really scares me. <laughs> I'm not going to get anywhere mm-hmm. close to that. <laughs> Right. So tell me a little bit about your story and what led you to this as a profession. Um, it was definitely a progression. I started off in the realm of body work and then became, that naturally led me via kind of the more subtle uh, neuro science um, oriented, nervous system oriented forms of body work um, to somatic experiencing trauma resolution work, which is very much focused on how does the nervous system work and how can we help people regulate that more. Mm -hmm. So um, started involving more talk and um, um, embodied awareness and counseling type methods into my healing offerings. Um, But what really kind of pushed me or, like, pulled me into sex and intimacy, and I think, like, many of us healers, it's, like, the sacred wound, Mm -hmm. Um, that part of us that just, like, was really wounded in our own childhoods, in our own history, you could even probably say past lives, um, and then struggling with it in our own lives, and then finding more and more skills and more and more liberation and more and more capacity and ahas. And, um, yeah, like when I, I was pretty promiscuous as a child, as a like teenager and yet mm-hmm. also really disconnected from my sexuality. Like mm-hmm. for the first year, four years of being a sexual, at least active human be- uh, being, I was, um, yeah, anorgasmic. I couldn't have an orgasm. Um, and that is not currently been like my reality. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I feel like, especially growing up Catholic and that kind of like, and I also have a Filipino background. So Filipino, Catholic, a certain amount of like, you're not allowed to be a sexual being mm-hmm. um, in the field. And uh, my rebellious spirit that just 
desires wholeness is like, no, I'm a sexual being and I'm going to claim that. Um, And it's taken me years and years of getting deeper into my body, um, deeper into my heart, deeper into present moment awareness to learn how to hold my sexuality in in a beautiful way. Um, and it felt only natural to share some of that juice with other people, some of those lessons mm. with other people. Awesome. Thank you so much for your transparency. I really appreciate your honesty there, and I'm sure a lot of people mm. can relate. Um, I know trauma resolution is a big topic, and I know you lead workshops on it, and and it's very mm-hmm. complex, but maybe can you give us just a taste of, what it is and what's involved in it and maybe share a few practices that non-monogamous people can use when their nervous system is getting tweaked from their relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've mentioned this term before, like the methodology I was studied in, which is somatic experiencing trauma resolution work, which created, which was created by Peter Levine. Um, So he has developed a system over 40-plus years that has uh, particular practices and principles. And so I've mentioned one, which was titration, and that's the concept Mm -hmm. of, like, bringing in a certain amount of charge that you could be present to and then letting Mm -hmm. that settle. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Another practice in that system is something called a resourcing, mm-hmm. which is defined as consciously paying attention to positive and pleasurable things, people, capacities, experiences, images, memories, um, fill in the blank, anything positive or pleasurable, and until the nervous system soothes. Hmm. Um, yeah. So like an example of how that might, how that um, is helpful during kind of an activated, triggery, trauma-like response in a um, non-monogamous context is like you were referring to your mentor about like really spending time on the relationship like so often we can like our nervous systems, our bodies can go a little wonky out of fear of abandonment and our partners could be right there. But some part of us that's kind of stuck in the trauma response isn't fully taking in our partner's support and our partner's love. Right. So by resourcing, you can intentionally focus on, like, those words. I'm here with you. I love you. And then rather than kind of, like, unconsciously, automatically deflecting those words, one could, like, really slow down and consciously take in, like, those loving eyes. Mm-hmm those sweet, beautiful words, and then just 
almost like you're inhaling a rose and like really savoring the goodness of it. Mm. And um, yeah, and then just like letting your body take that in, like, oh, I love you. Like, what do you notice in your heart when you hear those words? Like, maybe more of a softening, maybe more of an opening, maybe more warmth. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I can really feel yeah. it just the way you talk about it. Like you really bring such a slowness and presence to even talking about it. I'm really feeling it over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. So if mm-hmm. if somebody is feeling triggered and their core wound is is up in their face, like they're feeling unwanted, unlovable, afraid that person's going to leave them. Um, to remember to focus on what is true, like the person's still here, they're not gone. <laughs> they're saying they yeah. want to work it out with me. Um, they're listening to me. And like, it, oh, look for those positive cues, huh? Mm-hmm. And if, you know, and if they're not there for you anymore, like if the relationship genuinely might need to transition Mm-hmm. Um, there are other resources available in the field, hopefully, ideally. And I do so encourage people to develop more and more resources so they can be more and more resilient, no matter mm-hmm. what life may bring them. Um, mm-hmm. So a resource could be like a walk in the woods and really paying mm-hmm. attention to the light glittering off of the babbling brook or a resource might be a loving friend holding you with love and attention or a resource Mm -hmm. could be your own hand holding your own heart and your own adult soulful self telling your little inner child like I am here with you I am not going anywhere Mm -hmm. beautiful that's really mm-hmm. great advice. Thank you so much. Yeah, really need, needing to slow down and look for um, the resources that we have available to us. And I, I talk about in my jealousy training workshops that we need to not rely on our partner for everything, but to make multiple connections in our life, even if we're monogamous, to have buddies or have people that you go to the movies with and hold hands with or, you know, somebody that, you know, you can call any time, but not leave everything to your partner to meet all those needs. Yeah, my my head is nodding. <laughs> <Full of energy. laughs> yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm not one to say like monogamy is better or polyamory is better um, or superior. I'm I'm more of a fan of honoring what's deeply aligned, but I am. Um, that said, I do think it's um, an unrealistic expectation to try and get all of your needs met from one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There was a really funny skit I just saw on Saturday Night Live last weekend. This couple that, <laughs> this, you know, this, they're characters. It's a comedy skit. And there's this couple that's been together since they were like five years old or something, and they're just so overly enmeshed, and they just 
constantly read things into what the other person's doing and it's it's such a great caricature of couples that are overly enmeshed you know they're like i saw your eyebrow move to the left and i know that means that you're leaving aren't you and just how we can just get so overly attached to every little thing our partner does when we're making them our entire world so um if we can have a variety and like have space in our relationship right where um, where there's room for mystery and autonomy. And I know you talk about um, the theme of sexual integrity. Um, that might seem mm-hmm. like a good segue to tell us more about what that means to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of looking at the word integrity um, and a related word, integration, um, taking integrity out of the context of like a moralistic vibe. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like there's a tendency for to like, Oh, non-monogamy is definitely not moral according to certain frames. Or you could Mm -hmm. get kind of a, like a fundamentalistic (laughs) or a fundamental fundamentalistic version of polyamory and like, Oh, Mm -hmm. um, like closing the relationship temporarily is definitely not <laughs> ethical or, or something of that nature. Um, but uh, when I think of integrity as an expression of integration, and I think of integration in the context of um, kind of a, a, a an angle that's, arises from the world of physics and complexity theory um, where a system that is well integrated has both differentiated parts that are connected. So like a brain that's got like a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere, there are two different parts, but they're connected by the corpus callosum or um, like a healthy couple. You'll see they're like two individual human beings, but they're well connected through transparency and authenticity and communication. Um, So for me, sexual integrity has a a certain quality of like all of our parts are, Mm -hmm. have a voice and are connected Mm -hmm. to each other. Mm -hmm. So, um, so much of our um, kind of standard moral paradigms have like a way of kind of cutting off certain parts of ourselves. Like a lot of spiritual traditions might cut off our animal body desires <laughs> or, mm-hmm. um, or it might just be like totally hedonistic and disconnected from our hearts. Um, mm-hmm. Or we might be like, our inner wounded inner child might be totally running the show, but we're like disconnected from our adult self. It's like Mm -hmm. for me, sexual integrity is like including and including and including and including all the various parts of ourselves into more of a coherent Mm -hmm. whole that there's Mm -hmm. like individual differentiated parts, but connected at the same time in a, Mm -hmm. through clear communication. Mm-hmm. Is that making Beautiful. sense? Thank you. It's a little. Yeah, I have a question about it, but first I just want to mm-hmm. say, if you're just joining us, 
You're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Lorena Manzanita. She is a somatic sex and relationship coach and a trauma resolution practitioner. And we're talking about how trauma and somatic experiencing affect or how it can be utilized um, to make our relationships better, especially non-monogamous relationships. If you have any questions for Lorena, please feel free to call in. Our guest call-in number is 657-383-1132. Again, that's 657-383-1132. And you won't interrupt us. You'll be on hold, and we'll just go and answer your call when we're when we have a pause in our conversation. So feel free to call in any time over the next 20 minutes or so. And so, yeah, the question I had, we were talking about Lorena's concept of sexual integrity. And you were talking about sexual integrity being that we, that all the parts of us are in alignment. And I'm wondering if you can tell us more for people that haven't heard anything about parts theory. Like, what do you mean by parts? What are some examples of the parts of us? Hmm. Um. Like today I was working with somebody and they were talking about feeling conflicted um, about dating somebody or dating a couple people. Mm-hmm. And there was one part of him that was like really attracted to this person that had a particular body type that just kind of really aroused him. And then um, another part of him <laughs> was like, Uh, but it doesn't really feel aligned on a personality level. And yet, and there Mm. there was another part um, where the, it felt like more aligned on a personality level, but maybe conflicted with a part of him that wanted a long-term relationship. Mm. Um, So there's just like, I think most of us can identify with different parts of ourselves that want different things. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's ways that we can kind of tune in to create more integration between those parts of ourselves um, where we slow it down, respect the different parts of ourselves, the bringing acceptance, compassion, openness. I would also say like, healing away the layers of shame because I think that's a big part that blocks integration. Those pockets of shame that we have around our various desires or aspects of ourselves. Um, And then just like with a certain quality of mindful curiosity, noticing the essential kernel of truth in each part of ourselves and then like when we do that, something starts to align up and then there's more of this kind of experience of stillness. Mm-hmm. That comes forward. And I feel like our most uh, integrous actions tend to come from a quality of kind of still quietness and an organic impulses that come from there. But like when our 
inner child or adult selves aren't talking to each other, then there can be um, all sorts of, like, conflict in the system. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so it seems like the the more we can, again, have awareness, um, kind of mm-hmm. like we were talking early, earlier about having the awareness of um, a trigger that's happening to bring awareness to it and give ourselves compassion, it seems like the awareness of the different parts can really help us, particularly if not just making a decision, but I'm also thinking about when we are having some kind of conflict, either even a small conflict with a partner, if we can bring an awareness of the parts of us that are in conflict, like part of me understands what you're saying, another part of me is really mad about it. <laughs> Do you find totally. it useful during totally. those conflicts? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, I'm just naming what's true. And there's something like when we just name and the different parts of ourselves, like usually they start to come together. Mm-hmm. But if we kind of ignore or try and get away from or judge or repress these different parts of ourselves, then it it starts to leak out in different ways. So like Mm -hmm. so much of us in our culture are taught to not honor and claim and own our sexuality through all sorts of different conditioning. And then so by pushing that down, it starts to kind of leak out and express itself in not so integrous ways in our relationships, in our our lives. Right. Yeah, you just, I just had an epiphany around a client that I'm working with right now who really wants to see his wife have sex with another man. And that's really titillating. And then at the same time, another part of him just feels completely crushed and jealous about it and insecure. Like both things are true. So this idea of the like having the parts talk to each other and kind of meet somewhere um, and just naming it, like you said, just naming it and acknowledging it can help him resolve this seeming conflict. Yeah, yeah, and bringing curiosity to each part. Like, what Mm -hmm. does this part want and need? How does it um, show up in your body? Um, Like, in that jealous place, maybe there's a a tendency to kind of clench your fists and um, jaws and kind of like puff up the shoulders. So just kind of like allowing that to be expressed in a mindful way. Mm -hmm. Like when we allow the various parts of ourselves to be, um, take up space in a more embodied way, then usually they become less, uh, they drive us with less force. Mm Mm-hmm. Mhm. That's a good way to put it. So we went off on this beautiful tangent about parts, and we were <laughs> talking about sexual integrity. Um, so mm-hmm. sexual integrity is 
when the parts are in alignment with what our own values are. And so how is sexual integrity particularly important for non-monogamous people? Pardon me when I pause and find that still place within (laughs) before I Mm -hmm. respond. No, you Um, do. I feel you. You really embody what you're teaching. It's beautiful. hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like once we let go of the kind of cultural conditioning rules of sexual integrity means like you are only sharing your energy with your sexual or your like lifelong partner, right? Once we Mm -hmm. kind of like Mm -hmm. get out of that box, Mm -hmm. um, then it's, it could be really easy to get chaotic in how Mm -hmm. we share our energy. Um, So when we tend to more of these practices that support integration, like mindfulness, acknowledging parts, bringing compassion to the various aspects of self, letting those polarities kind of be expressed in an embodied way to help support more and more integration. Um, then it feels like it starts. We start developing a more reliable internal GPS mm-hmm. around navigating the myriad of relationship choices that show up in non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Do I get closer to this person? Do I set some boundaries with this person? Do I? Um, develop more of a fluid bonded relationship with this person? Do I um, tell this person, like, how do I orient this person to my relationship reality? (laughs) Like, Like, the more and more we are aware of all our various parts and where our energy is flowing, then we can create more and more coherent connections with people and be less prone to chaotic connections with people. So I'm thinking about, you know, boundaries in relationships, Mm -hmm. and I think particularly for open relationships, boundaries and agreements are really important. So what would you say is the relationship between trauma and boundaries? Um, People that have a lot of trauma in their past often have difficulty honoring boundaries. Right. Um, so what empowering things can somebody do who's struggling with setting boundaries? 
Um, so, so much of trauma is that happens or that shows up in our in, intimate relationships is less about like a particular incident. Um, it could be about a particularly dramatic incident, but oftentimes it's about like the context in which we grew up and how our needs, core needs were or were not met. And so we develop in childhood various adaptive strategies to get love, attention, care. And as children, our survival is dependent on the care and love of our caregivers, maybe parents. They could be our biological parents or not. But, like, caregivers ensure our survival. As an infant, we cannot do certain things. Our capacities are definitely limited as a toddler, as a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old. Um, so often what happens in childhood environments where our core needs aren't being met is, um, we'll like jump out of ourselves and allow and, and have, um, a certain difficulty in attending to our sovereignty, to our boundaries, in order to try and maintain the attachment relationship, which is how we survive. Mm-hmm. And then so I'm not going to say what I really want because I need to please you, my parent, right? Um I'm not going to um, express anger because in this household, being angry is uh, a total shameful taboo unless you're the one person in the household that's allowed to do anger, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then so often we can have... um, a tendency to defer to whoever we're attached to in our adult romantic relationships in a way that kind of mirrors our adaptive survival strategies as children where we needed somebody to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, So speaking of part works, what I often do with clients is help them tune into a felt sense of what would have it been like to have a parent that honored their boundaries or gave them what they needed. And if that's impossible to imagine the parent that could have showed up for them that way, it could be helpful to like tune in and resource on the, on present time adults that can really show up for them in beautiful ways. And then so start re-patterning their nervous systems to get accustomed to a felt sense of having their boundaries honored. Mm -hmm. 
And the more and more your body can acclimate and absorb and feel those sensations, those emotions, those thought patterns, those impulses that arise from um, the, uh, even if it's an unimagined experience of your needs being met and your boundaries being honored, it's so much easier to tell people, no, I'm not available for that. Because my core sense of being loved and available is not dependent on me sacrificing myself. Because I have that already in me. It's not coming from you. Mm-hmm. Is that all making sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can relate to that in my younger years of relationships where I was not, I mean, I didn't even know what I wanted. I, I was just all about, like, trying to figure out how to be, with, how to show up and how, how to mold myself into some character that I thought my partner would like so they would never leave me. <laughs> right. Um, so it's yeah. really been a lifetime of learning that, you know, I, I don't want an inauthentic relationship. I want a relationship where I can be me and I'm not going to die if this person, if we decide that we're not a match for each other, I'm not going to die. So, yeah, there's that core trauma of the child being left alone. And we, why do we project that on our romantic partner? I think that's the nature, kind of like... I discovered this thing called, or was introduced to this uh, thing called implicit memories. Um, Implicit memories are the only type of memory that's created in the first 18 months of Mm -hmm. our lives. Um, It's also the type of memory that's laid down during traumatic experiences. Mm Um, implicit memories are really interesting in that they feel like what happened in the past is happening now. Mm. So a, a, a veteran, war veteran having a flashback is kind of an extreme example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we're so much of our emotional reflexive responses come from this, these implicit memory operating program, um, you know, operating system programs Mm -hmm. that get called up when some aspect of that is touched. So kind of like a memory, like any old memory, if you notice one thing that's associated with that collection of images or sensations or um, thoughts or feelings, like a, a song comes on the radio and you're kind of transported to when you were 12, 12 years old and listening mm-hmm. to that song with your friends and, like, there's kind of a flood of a body sense memory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So when we get into relationship where there's that deep vulnerability, that's the foundation of intimacy, comes up, it kind of calls up all the programming from our first imprints of what deep 
vulnerable relationships were like. Mm-hmm. Along with all the defense strategies <laughs> right, embedded right, right. in there. Like that implicit memories feel like they are happening now. Very true. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What and, are some? Uh, what? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um. Oh, I was just gonna say re- regarding the whole the the cool thing about implicit memories, um, and kind of like, in addition to normalizing all the ways that we get kind of ac- project prior experiences onto present moment. Um, reality um, kind of normalizes it rather than like shaming ourselves for that. Um, mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about implicit memories is that if you intentionally pay attention, you could call that mindfulness, intentionally pay attention, it activates a certain part of our brain that starts to shift the implicit memories into more explicit memories Mm. and so we can start to differentiate between the past and the present Mm -hmm. and so we're no longer fused with our two-year-old that was abandoned but we can say oh here's my two-year-old that's coming up from my childhood but that's different than this present moment and my adult self I can hold my two-year-old, but I'm not fused with my two-year-old. So that quality of mindfulness helps to start unwinding the implicit memories and teasing apart and starts, we start um, accessing that information in a different way that creates what we call explicit memories and we're more differentiated from our past and we can stay more connected to the present moment and relate mm-hmm. from the present moment. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And um, with the little bit of time we have left, do you have any other empowering things that someone can do who's struggling with boundaries? Uh, first thing I want to say is um, that comes up for me is is making friends with anger, like coming into a more conscious, embodied, um, I want to say allyship with the emotion of anger. When I was doing my uh, somatic experiencing training in two thousand eight to two thousand ten. Um, I started off in a super toxic relationship. (laughs) And um, during the training, I got more and more opportunity to own the anger that I was not allowed to express in my childhood. But I got to own it in an embodied way, in a titrated way, in a resourcing way, in a beautifully held way. And by liberating all that, I wouldn't say all because I, I'm not done. Like there's still more mm-hmm. healing to be done. Um, but liberating much of the energy that was bound up in anger that um, wasn't integrated has done wonders 
for my capacity to be more attuned and refined and honoring of my boundaries and other people's boundaries. Because if you keep that anger with craft and you're taught that anger is not okay and you just have to be nice and nice all the time, and that's pushing it into that shame zone like we talked about earlier. Yeah, exactly. It was it was held in a pocket of shame. Um, so I didn't have anger. access to the life force. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Defending your anger and um, bringing mindfulness to your memories to take them some implicitly more specific. And any other yeah, and specific tools? Um, when when you say bringing mindfulness to memories, I want to say that oftentimes memories don't feel like memories. Those implicit memories don't feel like memories. Um, but they express themselves through sensations, emotions, core beliefs, um, things you want to do with your body. Um, yeah, so bringing mindfulness to all of those pieces. Mm-hmm sensations, emotions, things you want to do with your body, core beliefs, that can help uh, unwind all the life force that's bound up in the old trauma patterns and um, bring us more and more into the present moment, which is the more empowered moment. Right, like when you say things that you want to do with your body, I think about like if I'm triggered, like an abandonment wound is triggered and I just want to run away, I just want to leave, that's like the thing I want to do with my body. So instead of just leaving, I would just stop and notice my desire to leave. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. You can stop and notice that desire to leave. You can bring some cat passion for it, to it. You can bring some, also some curiosity and maybe kind of like play with that desire to leave. Like um, that might involve like kind of, you can imagine pushing somebody away just as a kind of like an experiment, a little scene, if you will pushing somebody away and then noticing what happens when you allow yourself to push somebody away. Cool. Well, this has been really, really fascinating, and I so appreciate your approach to all this. I just really want to slow everything down now after talking to you. (laughs) So I'll bring that awareness and somatic quality to everything. So I it's not. It's been much more than an. I mean, this interview has been a traumatic experience. It's not just a, an intellectual <laughs> discussion. So I really appreciate all that you bring to this. Um, we just have about three or four minutes left, and I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you and what some of your offerings are going to be, and if you have an offer for for people. 
Yeah, happy to. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, so you can find me, people can find me at lorinamanzanita.com, so L-O-R-I-N-A-M-A-N-Z-A-N-I-T-A.com. And um, for anybody who might be interested in working with me, I offer a 30-minute complimentary discovery call. So it's an opportunity to just kind of like ask questions, tune in. We can see if what your needs are um, and goals may be, if they just are a good match for what my skill set and experience uh, has to offer. So we can just tune in and feels good. Um, also, on March 30th, I'm offering a class called, day-long class called Sex, Intimacy, Trauma, and Skillful Loving in Oakland. And you'll find a link to that and on my website. Um, yeah, it's for anybody. And, and I want to say something about this is like we can – it's experiential. It's all about helping to bring more skillful loving to yourself and in your relationships. And um, it's not just about people impacted with sexual trauma. Personally and professionally, I've found that anybody whose trauma of whatever origin or nature might be can show up in how we show up sexually and in our intimate relationships. So um, it's for anybody, not just sexual trauma survivors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. That's at the end of March in Oakland. Thank you for the Mhm. Um, and in April uh, 27th, 28th, I'm teaching at an event called Love Affair. MyLoveAffair.net is the website. And there I'm going to be teaching a class called Non-Monogamy 101, Grounded in Love, Somatic Skills for Navigating Non-Monogamy with Grace, and also um, Boundaries and Unfolding Desires is another class I'm offering then. And where is that? Is that the system? That is also in Oakland at the East Bay Community Space. Oh, great. That sounds wonderful. And there's a number of teachers there. Yes. Including Carol Queen. Nice. Oh, I hope I can make that. It sounds wonderful. Okay. Well, we are out of time, and I want to thank you so much for being with us tonight, Lorena, and I wish you all the best with your upcoming project. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. You're welcome. Have a good, e- Have a good evening. You too. Take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.